The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. It's simple and intuitive. It has a clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. I'll tell you, the best parts of the Robinhood app is there's no commission fees at all. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. You can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. It's designed really well, and it's incredibly easy to use. It has easy-to-understand charts and market data. You can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. And the Robinhood platform also lets you view stock collections, a 100 of the most popular sectors like entertainment, social media, and curated categories like female CEOs, and analyst ratings of buy, hold, sell for every single stock. And you learn by doing. You learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. You discover new stocks and trade favorite companies with personalized news feeds that keep you informed about your investments. And with custom notifications for price movements, you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Yes, a free stock. So sign up now at taffer.robinhood.com. That's taffer.robinhood.com. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. Well, here it is, the first No Excuses podcast of 2019. I hope everybody had a great new year and a great holiday. And now it's time for all of us to actually do our New Year's resolutions and have a great year. All right, Corey, I'm going to corner you. Okay. What was your big New Year's resolution this year? You know, I try not to do those, but the biggest thing is fixing up just my credit and just kind of all those things that... You know, people try to avoid over you know time and just keeps adding up. Oh, so okay, so pretty simple stuff for you. Yeah. So, could you put cleaning up the studio as one of your resolution items for me? Oh yeah, okay. yeah. That's a, that's gonna be a work in progress forever. <laughs> so, as we finish up the end of this year, I was looking at all these year end statistics and some interesting things that really surprised me at the end of the year. And you know, when I did Fox a couple of weeks ago and I hosted on Fox for the week. I was really surprised that a lot of the shows don't do the the end-of-the-year specials that they used to do. And they don't because they're scared that new news is going to happen in real time, so they don't do those kind of specials. So I thought to myself, all right, what are the interesting things that I'd love to see at the end of the year that really, you know, impacts us all? And one of the things that I thought was interesting is what are the top websites of 2018? Because I really think if you think of what are the top websites, it almost tells us where America is going what people are doing with their time, et cetera. So I pulled a list of the top 50 websites for the year in the United States. Number one is a pretty easy one. That's Google. Number two is Facebook. This starts to get pretty interesting. Number three is YouTube. No surprises there, right, Corey? Yeah, expected. Number four is Amazon. Not not a surprise. Number 
Five is Yahoo. Well, Yahoo's still up there, obviously still very relevant, doing a good job. Number six is Pornhub. Oh, really? Number seven is xnxx.com, another adult site. And number eight is xvideos.com, another adult site. So out of the top eight (laughs) websites in America, porn got three of the eight. That's insane. (laughs) If we go to 10, porn got three of the 10. So nine was eBay, 10 was Twitter, which I found interesting. Twitter's really way down there. 11 is Wikipedia. 12 was Instagram. 13 was Reddit. 14, Bing. 15, Craigslist. That surprised me a little bit. Netflix is 17. X Hamster, another adult site, is 18. It actually, (laughs) XHamster.com beat Walmart. Really? (laughs) As as a more popular website, which I thought was fascinating. It also beat Chase, Pinterest, ESPN. I mean, I got to tell you, these porn sites are blowing away all these other sites. And here's another one that I've never even heard of. This is number 27, another adult site called Chat Your Bait. <laughs> huh, yeah, I've never heard of that one either. So I guess you, you talk while you masturbate or something on it, I'm guessing is what it is. Okay. But that was number 27. And then all the way on the bottom, number 50 was Microsoft.com. 49, I'm sorry, was Microsoft.com. Another one that surprised me, because I didn't even think anybody really went there. AOL.com is still number 46. I have one friend who has an AOL email address. Do you have any friends or anyone, Corey, who has an AOL email address? No. I don't think I've ever even been on AOL.com. I have a friend who still has his AOL email address. I'm guessing he's one of the five or six people in America. Wow that still have those. The other thing that was interesting to me looking at the end of the year is social media use, which is just unbelievable. YouTube and, and, and all of the social media challenges. For example, I was looking at Snapchat. 78% of Snapchat users are between 18 and 24. Virtually nobody older than that even really uses the thing. Right. Pinterest was interesting. Pinterest has more is is more popular with women. So 41% women, only 16% men claim to use the site. LinkedIn is a major home run. So LinkedIn, 50% of Americans with a college degree are on LinkedIn, compared with only 9% with a high school diploma or less. Well, that really says something for LinkedIn. They've got, obviously, a a big following of, of, of college graduates and uh, 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 potential executives and such. This is another interesting one, a messaging service called WhatsApp. Do you ever hear of that one, Corey? Yeah, I have, actually. I've never used it, but I've, I've heard about it. So it's, it's apparently really popular in Latin America, and it also extends to Latinos in the United States. 49% of Hispanics report that they are WhatsApp users, with only compared to 14% of whites and only 21% of blacks. I never even knew that there was a messaging service or something that skewed one ethnicity more than another. Fascinating. The other things that were interesting is how many times a day people will visit these sites. The average millennial is now going to their phones about 310 times a day. Wow. A day. But if you think about it, you look at your phone five, six, seven, eight times an hour, ten times an hour. Sometimes people look at it more. So that adds up during the course of the day. So what type of people go to these sites more often than once a day? So Facebook, 51% of their users are there several times a day. Only 26% are left often. 
Snapchat is 49% of their everyday. Instagram, 38% of their everyday. Twitter, 26%. And YouTube, even, 29% are there every day. But this one got me. This was fascinating to me. So how many websites actually feed traffic to another one? So 90% of Twitter users are on Facebook, but only 32% of Facebook users are on Twitter. I thought that was pretty interesting. That is. So, so obviously, Facebook uh, uh, um, is the biggest feed from all of them. 89% of Snapchat users go to Facebook. 81% of YouTube users go to Facebook. 85% of WhatsApp users, Pinterest users, they all go to Facebook. Is the biggest feeder from all of those. And this was a great one. I think this is complete bullshit. Majority of users say it would be hard to give up social media. So out of all social media users, 59% say, oh, they could give it up. No problem. Yeah. I think that's a complete crock. Yeah, right. 40% say it'd be hard to give up. Out of 18 to 24-year-olds, 49% say, ah, it wouldn't be hard to give up. What a crock that is. Out of 25 to 29-year-olds, 60% say it wouldn't be hard to give it up. And I think as they get older, it gets easier. But I cannot believe that a 49% of 18 to 24-year-old users would say, ah, I don't need to use that anymore. So there is our year-end Look at what's going on online, and uh, uh, some of it really surprised me. I was shocked at some of the porn site numbers. I was also shocked at some of the other website numbers, even the bankers and, and, and the retailers. And you know, the amount of hits that these website gets are pretty incredible. So, Corey, what do you think about animal mascots? Animal mascots. I think they're a little bit random, like the knights. Um, but I think they definitely go towards the kids and the kids like them so but that's a costume i'm talking about a real animal oh, mascot that comes in a cage and they let them out in the field and does yes. that bother you at all absolutely there's no need for it get the mascot out there call it a day because the the texas longhorns mascot charged georgia's bulldog on a field the other day so the, oh the, yeah there's a video of that i saw yeah it it's actually it was pretty heavy they had yeah. to take the bulldog and pull him away and everything and you know i started doing research into this and look you know uh, i'm an animal lover and i don't love to see animals in cages and manipulated and used and everything yeah. and as one who's had the opportunity to work in hollywood and be on sets and everything i know how these animals are treated and they're treated really well also i've got to tell you uh, 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 as one who's been a consultant to and has worked with Anheuser-Busch over the years, you know, I believe that the Clydesdales might be the west, best cared for animals in the world. I mean, these guys live in complete luxury and you know, grooming and, and just really, really well cared for and happy animals. But, you know, you look at a mascot, you know, Texas Longhorn mascot. I mean, what does this guy do when he's not on a football field? What about the bulldog and some of these other mascots? You know, I wonder... We have groups that protect animals in films. We have PETA and groups that, you know, attacked Ringling Brothers and got the circus to close and got the elephants, you know, put out to pasture, so to speak. Is there any organization that manages or takes a look at these, these uh, living animal mascots? And, you know, I want to know that they're treated well. And, uh, you know, this was an interesting example of what can happen when uh, uh, to an animal. When control is lost. Yeah. So I'd be curious. Post what you think on my Facebook page or, or my Twitter page. What do you think? Do you think we should let real animals do these things? Or are we okay with a costume, you know, like, like Chance uh, uh, for the Golden Knights or, or one of the others? Uh, it's an interesting issue, and I worry about it. And I'm going to guess 
Corey, that over the years, just like in all other areas, these animals are going to be uh, taken out and they're going to be changed with costumes, is my belief, over time. Something's going to happen and people are just not going to like it. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? You can get an offer for your car with True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes you to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate True Cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then, simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. All righty. How many times, Corey, have you dialed the wrong number in the past couple months? We all do it, right? Oh, yeah. So how about this? An astronaut at the International Space Center. I didn't know this. They have a phone system in the International Space Center, and no different than our phone system here. If you want an outside line, you hit nine, right, Corey? Yeah. Well, if you want an outside line in the International Space Station, you also hit nine, (laughs) And, and, and you dial your number. So somebody screwed up because an astronaut in the International Space Station went to make a call via Houston. So he dialed nine for an outside line, and then 011 for his international line, and then he went and he dialed the number. Well, what happened was he didn't put a zero before he dialed the 911 of the number. So apparently the people that manage the space station in Houston got a 911 phone call and freaked out, and uh, uh, apparently there have been other uh, phone calls from the International Space Station that have been wrong numbers. So there was an astronaut by the name of Jim Peak who actually posted a tweet. I'd like to apologize to the lady I just called by mistake saying, hello, is this planet Earth? It wasn't a prank call, just a wrong number. So how cool is that to just dial that wrong numbers in the space? Now, if it was me, I'd be calling everybody I freaking know from up right. there and people I don't know from up there. But, you know, back in high school, we used to do phony phone calls. In elementary school, probably is more like it. We used to do phony phone calls. And, you know, the silly things, is your refrigerator running? You better go catch it, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. How about phony phone calls from space? How freaking cool would that be? But I wonder if a caller ID number comes up. So I wonder if you get their phone number so now you can call them back and mess with them. How about a wrong number to you? How do you guys like it up there in the middle of your job? So anyway, I thought that was fascinating that in the International Space Station, you dial nine and then the country code and the number, just like you do from here. Anyway... You know, I didn't do uh, that great in school when I was younger. School was not my thing. I never had the discipline to do well in school. I learned a lot later on, and my disciplines came together later in life. But I've always respected, you know, children who are just incredibly well achievers and performers. There is a young man. uh, uh, His name is Braxton Morale, and he's a senior at Ulysses High School. uh, uh, And this 16-year-old is going to graduate from high school and Harvard University this year at the same time. Whoa. So this kid is so smart. He took tests years ago and was off the chart. So he signs up for a, a Duke University, tested him in the first place, and then he starts taking summer classes and online classes from Harvard. 
So now the guy, he loves being on the campus. So now he goes to Harvard classes in the summertime, does online Harvard classes while he's in freaking high school. So now this year, fortunately, the graduation ceremonies at Harvard and the graduation ceremonies at his high school, at Ulysses High School, don't conflict. So he's going to get to go to both. But I find it incredible. And when he talks about, you know, what he likes doing, you know, he enjoys taking his Greek mythology course at Harvard and weightlifting in high school. Any break you get from the classroom is a good one, he says. Can you imagine you getting your high school diploma at the same time you're getting a Harvard degree? No. I was glad to get my high school diploma. I hear you, buddy. (laughs) I hear. So his goal is he's going to go to Harvard Law, and then he's going to become a politician. And... uh, uh, I hope he does. Anybody who's that smart and that disciplined can only do good for us. Yeah. All righty. So what do you think about this whole bird box challenge thing going on? Oh, uh, it's – I hate all these internet challenges. They, people take them so far and it just it ruins it for everybody else. Well, you know, they had – what was it? The ice bucket challenge a couple of years ago? Yeah. Well, that raised money for charity. So that yeah, wasn't that, so that bad. Was, that was a good one. So that raised awareness. I don't get the bird box challenge. So people are actually – bird boxes. Sarah, uh, Sandra Bullock's new movie. And it's a horror film. And they wear – I haven't seen it yet. I was just looking at a trailer for it. And, and something happens to them and they have to wear blindfolds to protect themselves from something that they can't see. Yeah, people – are trying to drive around blindfolded. That's pretty much the, the premise of the challenge. Well, that, that's great to hear. <laughs> so, so people are not only they're going up and down escalators, they're working, they're running on uh, 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 tread machines, they're working out in gyms, people are wearing them at their desks and offices, people are drinking. And eat. But why would somebody do that? And the other issue is, who do they sue when they drive into somebody? Right. Do they sue the movie? I mean, can is there a responsibility when a media company like Netflix creates this viral energy and causes people to do something that might endanger them? I find this interesting. Now, if you watch the movie Jackass, it always starts by saying, don't do these things. These are professional, blah, 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 blah. If you watch a movie, I mean, if you watch a, t- a car commercial, Corey, it says on the bottom, professional drivers in controlled space, do not do this at home. Right. How do people do this and there's no liability back to the entity that creates it? I think it's fascinating. I think it's fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for people having fun. I'm just not big on people driving around in blindfolds. (laughs) Neither am I. Years ago, I used to have a very good friend named Michael Maher who has passed away. And Michael lived in Minneapolis. And Michael was one partier. He was in the sound, light, and video business. And every St. Patrick's Day, Michael would get dressed in a priest costume with the collar and, and everything. And sunglasses, and he had a, a blind person's cane with the red tip. And he would go into these bars on St. Patrick's uh, uh, night, and he'd click his cane around, and he'd be a blind priest. And with his cane, he'd knock glasses off tables. He'd knock people between their legs, and he would just disrupt the entire room. And everybody would say, oh, excuse me, excuse me. But he wasn't blind. It was just a goof. When he left... He would always pull out of the parking lot with his cane outside the window, clicking on the road as he drove by. So I think Michael Maher created the first ever bird box scenario as the blind priest driving his car on St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) That was a great thing to watch every year, I got to tell you. So as the year is ending, I'm working on a couple of things. And one of the things that I'm working on is the, the new creative ideas for my new book. 
Now, the last one, don't, don't BS yourself, right? Uh, uh, crutch the excuses that are holding you back. Made the New York Times bestseller list six times. I was really happy with that book. And now I want to take it to the next level. So I'm working on ideas for my new book. And if anybody has any, send them my way. Uh, because coming up with a new creative concept, obviously I want to help people. I want to impact people. I want to shock them a little. And uh, so I'm working on new book concepts. i got a couple of good ideas, but I'd love to hear from you if anybody has some ideas. Well, my interview this week, and uh, my guest this week, I should say, is John Darmbrose. And, and John was not only a great uh, football player with the Philadelphia Eagles, an amazing magician, and just an incredible guy who we almost lost a couple of years ago uh, 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 to um, a medical problem. But, you know, John has taken being on the line of death, if you will, uh, and turned it into such a positive thing. His story is incredible about NFL being a magician and his whole life. And I've been looking forward to having John here as a guest, and he'll be with me in just a minute when I'm back. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. With the new year ahead, it's a great time to set goals to make sure it'll be a great year for you and your business. And making that perfect hire can help set your team up for success. But where do you find that right person? You can post on a job board and hope the right person will apply. But why leave it up to chance when you can post your job where people go every day to make connections, grow their career, and discover opportunities? LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members aren't checking job boards regularly, but 9 out of 10 LinkedIn members are open to and interested in new opportunities like yours. And with most of the U.S. workforce on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people. People with the right skills and background for your role who are also ready for something new. It's the best way to find a person who will help grow your business. And that's why a new hire is made every eight seconds using LinkedIn. So find the right people for your business this year at LinkedIn.com slash Taffer and get $50 off your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com slash Taffer to get $50 off your first job post. LinkedIn.com slash Taffer. Terms and conditions apply. Well, the new year is here. And what's your New Year's resolution? If you're planning to be healthier, it all starts with a good night's rest. And you know, it's changed my life. You've heard me tell my story about tossing and turning, headaches, back pains. But after my pillow, I wake up feeling great. It's amazing what a difference a good pillow makes. My pillow had an amazing offer on a four-pack. It was such a rare deal. The good news is they've extended it with their very best offer ever. Go to MyPillow.com right now and click on their end-of-year special, and here's what you'll find. It's the lowest price my pillow has ever offered on their four-pack, and it includes free shipping. But it gets better. Their 60-day money-back guarantee has been extended through March 1st. Best price ever, free shipping, extended money-back guarantee. What else do you need? Go to MyPillow.com, click on the end of the year special, and enter my promo code TAFFER, and you'll get two premium MyPillows and two Go Anywhere pillows. There's nothing better than the gift of a great night's sleep. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the end of the year special, and use my code TAFFER to get two premium MyPillows and two Go Anywhere pillows. Again, best price ever for a four-pack, free shipping, and extended money-back guarantee through March 1st. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the end of the year special, 
special and enter my promo code TAFFER. And remember, my promo code can be used for any offer on MyPillow.com. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. All righty. You know, I'd like to have guests on that inspire me. And John Darmbrose inspires me. He inspired me as a football player. He was a great one. You know, he inspired me when he got sick and, and, and overcame his illness and his challenges. He inspired me when he had the discipline to become a magician and now take that to the next level in his life. John is just an inspiration to me in so many ways, and I'm so happy to have him here with me today. John, I got to tell you, buddy, I've been really looking forward to talking to you because so many people blame ex- blame failure on excuses. And, you know, I wrote a book called Don't Bullshit Yourself, Cut the Excuses That Are Holding You Back. When you were a kid, boy, you had a lot of excuses and opportunities to blame on not being an achiever. You had well, a tough I mean, start. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I basically at a young age made the decision that I, I don't ever want to be that kid. And, you know, you talk about goals, right? And uh, I had a very simple goal when I was a kid. I never wanted to be babysat. And, you know, that, that, that drives me nuts. And even in uh, going into the NFL, you know, you have bed check at 11 o'clock. You have all this stuff. Being babysat used to drive me nuts. I was the guy that's like, hey, tell me what you want. Leave me alone. Don't micromanage. I promise you it'll get done. And I took pride in that. Yeah, so so uh, there's a rebellious side to you then, in essence. Well, I, I guess uh, a, a rebellious side to want to do well, I guess yeah. it, it, you can put it that way. Yeah, just – just leave me alone and give me a task, and I promise you, I'm going to get it done. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I'm sure you've seen my TV show. In my TV show, you know, uh, 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 producers want to produce. They want to tell me what to do, how to do it. And I always say, you know, I have to do things my way. Tell me what you want me to do, but don't put the words in my mouth. Don't tell me how to do it. You know, I relate to what you're saying, and as a player, you executed that way too. So Yeah, you, you know, Andy, you know I, I loved Andy Reid, right? And, and I'll never forget that when I first signed there. He came out. I just got done with my workout. He came out and he said, uh, congratulations, you're an eagle. I go, really? It's really cool. He goes, yeah, here's the deal. You want to run, run. You want to work out, work out. You want to lift, lift. Do whatever you want. You want to go home, go home. But if it's not there on Sunday, you're fired. And I looked at him and I said, coach, you and I are going to get along. I'm going to cruise by my house. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm guessing you spent an awful lot of time, Nick, because the career speaks for itself. When did you know that you were going to pursue a professional sports career? You know what? This is going to sound crazy, but I don't think I ever knew. And so I, I uh, going making the decision to play football versus baseball. I went to uh, high school. Uh, I, I was a good baseball player. Got the accolades. You know, I, I led the league in tackles my senior year. Didn't get all league. I was devastated, and I didn't get a scholarship. So I thought I was pretty good. I was looking around, seeing the people that were going places, and I was like, man, I can I can hang with these guys. So I went to a junior college. It was Golden West Junior College, and this is how easy this thought process was. At the time, they were 0-20. They hadn't won a game in two years. (laughs) There's these other schools that were really good and big programs, and they had 150 guys, you know, and and they were winning. But, uh, you know, Bill Simpson was an ex-NFL guy. He actually played for the Buffalo Bills, these guys right here. And uh, he said, hey, you stay on the field, they're going to find you. If you ain't on the field, they ain't going to find you. So you went went when you knew you'd get play time. Yeah, right. I went to school. I knew I was – look, if you can't play at a school that's 0-20, hang it up and find a different life, right? And so that's what I did. Um, a lot of people know the story, but I actually took three of us and, and made an ultra highlight tape. I sent it to the University of Texas, El Paso, where an ex-teammate and good friend of mine was there. They needed a long snapper, so I sent our snappers film, said it was me at the time. 
And I went. And so, you know, throughout college, I, I literally just wanted to run out of a tunnel in front of 100,000 people. That was my motive to play college football. I love the game. I love the energy. I love the speed. I, I love the just the, the, the alpha male competing, the, yeah, the gladiators, intensity. right? But ultimately, I wanted to run out of a tunnel and feel 100,000 people scream. I want to be a rock star, but I can't sing and I can't dance. I can't play an instrument. So that was the closest thing. Wow. So, so there, there is, I talk about it, television is not dissimilar than that. There's an instant gratification when all these people watch you at once. There's something that comes from that. In regular jobs, you know, they do plans and budgets, and, and it takes months for things to materialize. You go play today, you get the accolades today. I mean, it, it's in real time. That's exciting. You know what it is? It's the energy, yeah. right? It's the lights. It's the music. It's, it's, to me, I'm an energy guy, and being around that just makes you want to just do, do great things. So uh, I ended up playing. I was a long snapper in college, and I ended up doing pretty well. And my senior year, they started saying, hey, you could probably play in the league. And so sure enough, I got a shot with the Buffalo Bills. I, I stuck there for two years. Yeah. Um, but, the, but the reality is you asked, you know, when did I know I'd, I'd have a career there? Every year that I played, I thought I was getting fired. And so in the offseason, I would go perform. And, you know, I, I look back on my career and I'm very thankful for this. I had magic on one end and I had football, but, but that gave me a balance. And when I'm away from football, I was away. So in the off season, I didn't think about it. I didn't, I got away. Yeah. And every year it was like a fresh start for me. Um, no, so have- I'm real thankful for that balance. But I also think I lasted as long as I did because I never thought I got there. You know, they say getting there is the easy part and it's hard. Staying, staying is hard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, okay, hold on, hold on. Sorry. So. I never wanted to be babysat. And then uh, the people will laugh at this too, but this is, this is so true. John, what was your goal in the NFL? Was it to win the Super Bowl? Was it to be an all-pro? Was it this? It was all of that. But I had one goal. And, and the goal was I always wanted to be the oldest guy on the team. Because I looked around and I saw that if you were the oldest guy on the team, it meant a lot of different things. You handled your business. You showed up on time. You were a true pro. And if you were the oldest guy on the team, then you put yourself in a position to have one, a lot of chances of success, and you put yourself in a position to have the most opportunities to win a Super Bowl, and that's what I wanted. So uh, uh, how does it feel when you go from the Bills when you get traded? I've never asked a player about that before. Well, so uh, I was uh, – <laughs> excuse me. I was released from Buffalo, yeah. went to Tennessee, and then I played for the, the Eagles for 12 years, and then the Eagles traded me to the New Orleans Saints. And, you know, it was one of those things where at the time uh, I had just – uh, got the record for the most consecutive games played as an Eagle. So I, I played 162 straight games, hurt, sick, injured, didn't matter. And uh, that didn't include preseason and uh, playoff games. So it was, it was probably more, uh, you know, but it, it's that moment where you go, wait a minute, you're, you're going to try. Like in my mind, I was Mr. Eagle. Right. But here's, what's really cool. You know, I, I'm somebody that's, I'm going to try and take the best at every situation and step back and, and things happen for a reason and, and life's got a plan. Right. So, I looked at the GM, Howie Roseman, I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get this straight. I'm a long snapper. And you're telling me that a team inquired to trade for me? And he kind of looked at me, and I go, so am I the first long snapper ever to be traded for, for a draft pick? I go, Howie, if this is going to happen, it ain't my decision. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I feel. I just got to go along with this. So if it's time for me to go our separate ways, then, yeah, make me the first long snapper ever to be traded, traded for a draft pick. Let's do this. Boy, you and I are so alike. I love benchmarks in my life, things to accomplish and to be the first at something. Now, you are – a lot of my listeners don't know this about you, John, but you're an amazing magician, and, a, uh, and I watch some of your videos, buddy. You're a killer public speaker. You're a well, great motivational speaker. Were you a little, little kid when you fell in love with magic? 
Were you yeah, really you know, young? Excuse me, I'm sorry. <coughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. If, if those of you aren't watching, I don't know how the hell he did this, but he just coughed and a deck of cards came out of his mouth. Uh, uh, and it was no setup prior to doing that, so that was a good move. When did you? Were you a young, young kid? Yeah, so I was 12 years old uh, when I first saw a magician named Michael Groves, 13 years old. Uh, and I saw a, a, tw- uh, a magician, he was 16 years old, named Michael Groves, and he did a trick to me. Uh, and I loved every bit of it. Uh, they took me down to a magic shop. I got my first book, J.B. Bobo, Coin Magic. Uh, and then it was off, off in the races. And then, you know, back then in, in the early 90s, that's when, like, the magic TV specials were big, right? You know, the Internet wasn't around, so it wasn't saturated. So when there was a magic special on TV, it was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, there was a show called The World's Greatest Magic, and Bill Malone was a card guy. And I saw Bill Malone perform, and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And I picked up a deck of cards. And what's really cool is when I would travel around with these bad boys, I was never alone. And so I could take these guys anywhere. I could shuffle. I could have fun. And I just felt that when I shuffled, I would think about life. Things would process. And I was just a kid. And to this day, I'm, you know, I always got them, baby. You also could always bring a smile to somebody's face who's next to you with that. Yeah, a, a cool. ticket to a smile every time. So w- what I find remarkable about you is 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 your tough childhood. You get you get your stuff together. You do really well in school. You do well. Uh, 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 you me- you have a good NFL career, and then you get sick. And you had to give up your NFL career. Could you talk about how you dealt with coming out the other side of that? Yeah, you know it was hard. So I, I think a lot of it had to do with the moments that lead up to it. And, and I'll tell you this. Because uh, you were invincible kids, in your mind at that time, weren't you? Say it again? You were invincible at that time in oh, your mind. Oh, are you kidding me? I'm 37 years yeah. old, just signed a three-year extension. I'm going to play in the NFL until I'm 40. Top Come of on, the world. Man. Top of the world. And I thought I was healthy as can be. Uh, but, you know, every year I played in the NFL, I thought I was getting cut. And so in the offseason, I would go around and I would perform. And I spent my entire career leveraging opportunity, building relationships and friendships and, and doing these events, meeting people so that when the day was over that I was cut, I would have options to where my, my, my mind would go and where my life would go. Uh, it wasn't about money. It was about options. And it was about where am I going to spend the next 40, 50 years of my life here? And so, you know, when I found out I got traded to the Saints, uh, whether you're religious or spiritual or not, it's, it's amazing to think that I was traded to New Orleans to be saved by a saint. And so I, I took a physical. They discovered I had a, uh, an aneurysm. So your aorta is the vein that leaves the heart, right? And it comes down and around like this. And the aorta should be about the size of a dime or a nickel. And mine was the size of a Coke can. Oh. So it was, it was six centimeters, just shy. And so if that aneurysm pops like a water balloon, uh, your light's out right away. You know, you're, you're dead instantly. So they discovered I had the aneurysm. Uh, I had a valve replacement as well. So my blood was leaking back into my heart where it shouldn't be. And uh, the emergency part of the surgery was the aneurysm. So long story short, uh, so it was just you went right surgery. in the surgery. As soon as they told you, man, you were right in the surgery. Yeah, man. So uh, as soon as I found out, well, we had 24 hours, right? So I, we called surgeons all over the world. My wife and I, we interviewed them. And it just so happens the number one guy was Joseph Bavaria at UPenn. So it was back in Philadelphia. So right. um, I, I headed right back to Philly. Uh, they admitted me, observed me for uh, a night. And then I was in surgery the next morning. Wow. How long was your recovery? Oh, brutal, man. You know, it was, uh, you know, the surgery was about just shy of 11 hours. Uh, my wife and I were in the hospital post-surgery uh, three and a half weeks, I believe, just shy of four weeks. Uh, I'm telling you what, man, you're on a lot of meds. So I was on, it was either 21 or 26 pills uh, for, for quite a while. And uh, it's, you know, they, they say that like depression is a side effect to open heart surgery. And um, 
I don't know if that's the word, right? I think that's the word they use for lack of better word. Um, but you, but you do. You have these moments of loneliness. You have these moments of uh, purpose. You have these moments of you, you feel just really like bad for yourself. And and what's what's what the struggle is, you finally get to a point that you realize it's not you, right? You finally get to a point that a situation happens and you don't react like you would have pre-surgery. And it's the meds and it's just the hormones. It's it's everything. And then all of a sudden, when you come to that realization, you're like, okay, now I can start working on this to get myself back. But you can't snap out of it. And it's and, and you get really, I got really frustrated. Uh, my wife will vouch, man, I had no patience. You know, my patience is still, uh, it's gotten a lot better, but it's slowly coming back. Um, you know, physically, you know, you basically, I sat in a recliner for months and just stared at a wall. You know, you're on a drug called metropolal and you basically just stare at a wall. I mean, that, that's what I did. And How so you, you got to you get your mind back too. How you feeling now? Hey, man, rocking and rolling, baby. That's so, awesome. Uh, I would say a million times better, man. I had my one-year follow-up in October. Um, you know, where, where my problem was is a lot of the blood was leaking back into my heart. And so my heart was working way too hard, and it got way too big. And like a pair of sweatpants, when the heart gets big, it loses its elasticity. And the elasticity of the heart is kind of the ability to the, the strength of the squeeze. And so when my heart got real big, we had the surgery. My heart shrunk back down, but we needed the strength to come back, that elasticity. To, to squeeze the blood out. And so I found out last October that the strength is, is it's making progress, you know, no heart transplant, nothing like that. So, so we're, we're, Hey man, we're living baby. You know, what's fascinating to me about you is that, uh, in your life, you are a, an expert at team sports. You're a team guy. You know how to come through for a team. I'm guessing you feel bad when you had a bad game for the team. But you are totally about team victory, sharing that victory with everyone else. You didn't want to run through the tube on your own. You wanted to run through the tube with a championship team. But when you look at magic, that's the exact opposite of that in every way. Magic is so solo when you're learning it. It's such a, an individual thing. And uh, I'm friends w- with Lance Burton, who's, who I'm sure you know the name is a good comedian. And, of course, you know, Lance performs in front of a mirror all the time, just constantly. It's interesting how you have such a solo skill and such a team orientation. That's fascinating to me. Well, it, 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 it kind of made me cringe at times when, when coaches would preach, there's no I in team. Uh, excuse me, sir. Yeah, there are. There's a lot of I's in team. And if these eyes don't get our stuff together individually and handle our jobs as individuals, this team ain't never going anywhere. That's right. So, no, there are eyes in team. You just got to have to basically have a sense of, of want and pride for your teammates that you want to win for them more than you do yourself. And then you got to come together. And so, you know, th- this was uh, magic was cool for me, man. It taught me a lot at a young age that it doesn't matter how hard something is. If you stick to it, you're going to find yourself getting better and better. And then when you accomplish it, when you accomplish the move, man, wow, how good does that feel? And, uh, you know, one of the moves, like, for instance, here we have a, a, an Ace of Hearts. And if you're watching this, maybe you'll be able to see it. But you can flick it and get that thing to change into whatever cards you want. That's a hard move. But when you master it, all of a sudden you feel so cool about it, it's gratifying. And it builds this confidence. It builds character, which in football, practice is to build character, right? Yeah, yeah you're working on your plays. But what you're doing is you're working on yourself and, and the strategy behind it to where when you go out, you have confidence. 
Practice is to build confidence. That's what it is. So I, uh, in preparing to talk to you last night, watched America's Got Talent. Watch, watched, and man, you were you blew away the judges. I'm not sure anyone has ever gotten that reaction out of the judges before. I'd love it if you'd share that story with us. How, how you thought to do that, and 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 if anybody hasn't seen that, you got to go to YouTube or wherever you can find it, and and watch John on America's Got Talent. That was, I'm guessing, your Super Bowl of magic for you in a sense. Yeah, and it was really cool because I was I was in training camp at the time we competed on the live shows, and so for me, you know, to be to be playing in the NFL in, in, at the highest level, and then arguably to be performing on the highest level on the number one TV show in the world on the biggest stage simultaneously, it was two childhood it was two childhood dreams coming together as one. So a buddy of mine called me and said, "Hey, you got to do this show." I'm like, "Yeah, all right." So long story short, I, I did it, and. I was actually going to opt out after the first or second episode. I was hoping to get a few good uh, comments from the judges, you know, to put on the website and to use this promo to, to help my speaking career. Cause I love the corporate speaking side. I love being a keynote speaker because I get to tell my story and perform at the same time. It's the best of both worlds. Yep. And lo and behold, I got the gold buzzer, which if you're familiar with the show, if they hit that thing, you're basically will go right to the lives and it's a, it's a cool honor. Um, and then the team, the Eagles stepped up and said, Hey, look, uh, this is a big part of your life. Let's make it work. I mean, it's not, he literally <laughs> the GM and the owner and the, and the coaches, they all like, look, you're not a quarterback. Okay. It's not like you have to be here every second. You're a long snapper. So, and you've been doing it a long time, you know, so it was a win-win. The team got great publicity for it. The league did, you know, I did myself, uh, we represented what, what we believe in and that is, uh, you know, be kind to one another, which is why Ellen and I get along. And, uh, when you have an opportunity to show the world who you are and what you stand for, you know, say the right thing. And, and every time I performed, I was basically aiming for that 12 or 13 year old kid that I was, uh, you know, I was talking to that kid, just like Bill Malone talked to me through uh, world's greatest magic. Yeah. You're a good guy, John. So, uh, uh, um, when you won America's got talent, what happened to your magic career? I mean, did your website light up Were people were trying to book you everywhere? Yeah. You know, it was, it was one of those things. So because uh, Terry I, Fader, I, I you know Terry Fader, the ventriloquist? Oh, yeah. Terry's yeah, so, a dear friend of mine. He's been on this podcast, and he just blew up afterwards. Oh, yeah. I'm guessing the yeah. same happened for you? Yeah, you know, so I, I got third. So I went to the last 20 seconds of the show, and uh, which was great. You know, one, it opted me out of some contractual stuff, and I was kind of a free agent. And, you know, to be honest with you, not, not to sound like arrogant or anything, but I, I got so much publicity for losing. It was like, holy cow, this is great. And so, you know, we had offers, but I was still playing in the NFL. And so, you know, what, what I was really excited about is it really blew up the, the corporate speaking side. Uh, if, if you guys get a chance and you go on YouTube, you know, YouTube John Dornboss, America's Got Talent finale. And I did a trick where I basically described how magic saved my life. And I was basically doing that trick for the buyers because I wanted them to see what my style was and, and who I'm about. And so, um, yeah, it, it blew up. You know, now, you know, what's really cool. Is now I, I book theaters around the country and people show up. And so, you know, and and also from an industry standpoint, you know, you do America's Got Talent. It it, it does a lot on the back end of your career. And what I mean by that is it shows that one, you can deliver uh, on the world's greatest stage. You could do it live on television. You can hit your mark. You can hit your time. And, you know, there's a lot more things than just going out and performing. Right. You have camera blocking and there's a lot of things that have to go on here in order to, to make it happen on television. So it gave me an opportunity to show the industry and to show these people that, yeah, hey, under pressure, I can hit my time, I can hit my mark, and let's go. You know, it's interesting. I have my television show. We're in my ninth year 
uh, got about 91 million viewers, and I'm executive producer of it. And I listen to you, and it's amazing how similar our lives are in, in, in our approach to everything. You know, my show, no different than you. I never thought I'd make it to the next season. I always figured I was going to get canceled at the end of the year. Made me work incredibly hard. And I always thought to myself, and I'm going to say what you said in my way. You can agree with me. Getting on TV was one thing. Staying on TV is another. Getting in the NFL is one thing. Staying in the NFL is another. You know, and becoming yeah. a magician is one thing. Making a living and truly becoming a respected magician is another. Yeah, and, you know, America's Got Talent was huge in my career. Um, but it, it introduced me to Ellen DeGeneres. And Ellen and her crew and her staff have been amazing. And, and like you just said, Ellen has given me relevancy over time. Yeah. And that has given me the ability to, to sell out theaters and to do things that I want to do. And, and as you know, uh, with that comes a great deal of responsibility. Uh, so there's a movie that came out, uh, A Star is Born, with uh, Bradley Cooper and, yeah. and Lady Gaga. And I'll tell you what, one of the best lines of any movie I've ever seen came from that movie right there. And Bradley Cooper looked at her and said, hey, they ain't going to be listening forever. So you better be careful on what you say and how you say it. And you better say what you think because that's all that people care about, right? But with that comes a great deal of responsibility. And I love that responsibility. And Ellen and I get along because we're just that. Let's believe in ourselves. Let's be kind to one another. And let's make this world a better place than when we left. And television and, and podcasts and like yourself, man, you guys got the platforms to, to be able to do that and make a big difference in a lot of people's lives. Yeah, well, I got to tell you, buddy, I'm honored to know you. you know, I've looked at your NFL career, and you have so much to be proud of. You know, you have overcome adversity three, four times in your life and proven the depth of what a winner truly is. You well, find a spirit in you. And let me make you blush for a minute here, John. There's a spirit to you that just overcomes. It is, and it's powerful when you look at how it touches the different aspects of your life. And you're touching other people. You are. And I'm okay. guessing that's one of your greatest gratifications because I'm looking in your eyes and I can see that, you know, the fact that people want to see you and, and understand you are relevant to us is, I'm guessing, your biggest motivation. It's really cool, man. Oh, by, by far. And, uh, you know, you, you said that you overcome obstacles. Here's what I've learned. That's one thing that every one of us can relate to. And I think the big difference is that the people that struggle that I've witnessed and that I've worked with, some of them are embarrassed. At whatever that struggle is. And I think a, a little bit of it is they feel alone, right? They feel like, oh my gosh, nobody's ever been through this. Well, the reality is that's actually what binds us all together. That's actually what every one of us have in common. And so we're not alone. And I believe in this, man. I believe in self-talk. When you're down and out, don't listen to yourself. Don't listen to that voice. Talk yourself through it. You know, stand up, hold your head proud. When I was in the hospital uh, every day for, for three and a half weeks, I took my IV and I had a little briefcase that had the tubes that went into my chest and all the fluid was leaking. And I'd shuffle my feet to the bathroom. And I'd look in the mirror and I kid you not, I'd be crying in the hospital and I picked my head up and I literally told myself this every morning. You pick your head up, you walk proud and you got this. And that's how I approach every day. Pick your head up, be proud, you got this. Well, and so what we say to ourselves, how we talk to ourselves, I believe that that's the same way we're going to view the world. And that's the same way we're going to view and talk to other people. So the world, it starts right here with the story that we tell ourselves. It's believing in ourselves. It's, you know, a lot of people said, John, uh, you know, how, how did you, you, you were really accurate for a long, long time. I kid you not, my entire career, when I was taking the field, I was an actor in a movie playing the biggest badass long snapper in the world. That's what I told myself. And every time we went out on the field, I was like, okay, here we go. We got the director right there. We got one take. All the union guys want to go home. We're tired. Just nail it on the first take. Let's go. Johnny one take. That's what they called me. Johnny one take. It's funny. And, uh, they called me one take taffer. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Right. But, but it's the narrative that we tell ourselves. 
and it, it gets rid of the pressure and, and all of a sudden the story that we tell ourselves is what becomes. And you know, we, if, we if reaffirm. And have excuses, that's who you are. And we reaffirm to ourselves all the time, and that's very important. You know, I'm big on words that we use to ourselves too. Like to me, the word dream shouldn't exist. It should be a goal. Dreams yeah. are unlikely. Goals are likely. So, you know, I'm one who says don't chase your dreams. Chase your goals. And, I like that. But, yeah, but little things like that make a big difference. I got two yeah. questions for you, buddy. Yeah, can I, can I say one thing real quick? Sure. What's beautiful about what you just said, goals sometimes happen within dreams. Sure. You dream about goals. Well, then wake up. And I, I love what you just said. Then wake up and make those goals a reality. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's the truth. That's who you are. Fact is, you did make yourself proud, and you did achieve it. I got two fun questions for you. First of all, I'm really curious to know this question: Where do you get your deepest joy, John? Ooh, man, that's a that's a deep question. Um, you know what? I, I'm I'm just so happy to be alive. I'm so happy to breathe new air. I'm so happy to, you know what? I'm I'm very happy, and and I don't know if this is answering the question, but. You know, I had I had pretty intense therapy as a kid uh, after everything happened with my family. Yep. Um, it, it kind of uh, led the road that I'm on now and, and the thought process that I have. And um, I'm really proud to say that I, I wake up happy. And I'm really proud that when sometimes things don't go our way or sometimes something bad happens, I don't I don't see it as an excuse. I don't see it as the victim card. And, you know, I'm a person that says, hey, live in vision, not in circumstance. And so I find joy in the fact that my soul is free, that my heart is open. You know, I, I remarried, uh, and, and my wife, Annalise, is unbelievable. I, I found my soulmate, so to wake up every day and to have that, that's joy, man. You know, I got a dog now named Saint, named after the Norman Saints for saving our life. I mean, I look at him, that's joy. But really, the, the deepest joy comes from the ability to have a clear mind, clear clear soul, and, and to, to understand the power of forgiveness and, and to let things go in the past that doesn't matter anymore. Life doesn't care, right? Life doesn't care. Yeah. It's how we deal with it. And it's, it's the story we tell ourselves and it's the decision that we make in the moments of do we have an excuse or do we live in vision? That's what separates us. And you I'm know, really happy that I can process that and then find joy. So I'm going to share you my view of that because I grew up, uh, my dad died when I was two and I had a bunch of adversity when I was a child as well, home to home, et cetera. So you and I share that, but not at all to the depth of your, of your trauma. But, you know, I, I always, as I got older, derived pleasure from the fact that I can get strength from those horrific times, not weakness. And you've done the same. You derive strength from those horrific moments in your life that are unfathomable to other people that would take so many of us down, John. And I feel that same pride at moments. When I can derive strength from that, then I've truly won. And those are the biggest moments for you, too. Boy, I get it. Uh, 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 I'm feeling with you, buddy. So, so well said, man. Yeah, it's, it's just true. the truth. And I think, you know, we feel the same way about this, uh, coming up at that adversity. You know, and one a Rocky line, I love it. You know, it's, it's how you stand up after you get hit that matters in life. Another yeah. great line, but, but obviously yeah. that's true. Okay, you ready for your next big question? It hit me. I've been looking forward to asking you this. Who would you like to have dinner tonight? But they must be dead, and they can't be an athlete. Who comes to uh, I mind? Mean, I would say my mom, uh, for sure. Okay. Now, if I were to go outside of that realm, yeah. who would I like to have dinner with and why? And it can't be an athlete. That's right. Man. I mean, I, I think it would be cool 
and this is probably not on, on, on kind of where you're at, but like on the entertainment side, to sit down with like a Charlie Chaplin or, or to sit down with like, how about this? Hey, uh, you know, how'd you invent electricity, Franklin? Hey, Thomas Edison, where'd the phone come from? Because let me tell you, pretty good invention, you know? Um, it's funny that you say that because my idols yeah. tend to be those kind of people, Thomas Edison and the Howard Hughes types in the world. Too. So, yeah. So I don't, I, don't care who, I don't care who you are or what you do. If you're the best in the world at it, I would love to sit down and talk to you because I think that's fascinating. So you know what's fascinating about what we just said? It's a great way to end this interview. When I ask that question, some people pick somebody who would admire them. Some people pick someone who they would admire. You pick the person you would admire. So, so you immediately uh, uh, went to a place where you would learn, grow, and, and that's who you are, man. John, this well, has been a it, lot of fun, it, buddy. It would be slim pickings if I had to find somebody that admired me. Oh, oh come on. Come on. <laughs> Listen to you. You know, buddy, when, when, when you were a kid, you wanted to run through that tube. You did it. When you were a kid, you wanted to be a magician that could draw people and make thousands of people smile. You did it. When you got sick, you had to overcome it, get past the negative thoughts, all that stuff. You did it. When you wanted to become a motivational speaker, not easy. You're sitting in a room with corporate executives now who know their shit. <laughs> you better speak right, and you better know what the hell you're saying. And that quote, right, they're going to listen to you for so long, and you did it. And to suggest for a moment that you're not relevant is absurd. You're incredibly relevant. You're a great story, John. You know, you. I'm proud to have talked to you, and I hope people understand the power of what you and I have said to each other. I think turning those horrific moments into positive things in our lives is a big lesson out of the talk we had together, don't you think? I think, yeah, and and you know what? You and I have accomplished it because you know what we did is we showed up. We showed up every day. Hey, man, let me tell you, in life, if you just show up, you'll be amazed at what happens. And the other big thing I've learned from our talk together is if we assume we're going to be successful next year, we might not try so hard this year. So you and I both always think that it's going to end this year, and we got to fight for next year to happen. Boy, that True. applies to college, marriages, every aspect of life. Focus on now. And so many people are so concerned with tomorrow that they don't mentally show up today. You showed up every day, and that's why that's you won. The key, man. That's yeah. the key right there. Well, I told you John Dornbos would be inspirational. He certainly is. And when we come back, I'm going to hope my audience calls are just as inspirational. <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. Wow, what a wild card weekend in the NFL. The Eagles-Bears game was absolutely incredible. And now it's on to the divisional round. Bet DSI is celebrating 20 years online and has built an impeccable reputation for great service and fast payment of your winnings. To help you get started with some extra bang for your buck, Bet DSI is offering double your money on your first deposit. That's right. Deposit to start winning and get up to $2,500 free. That's double your money right from the get-go. When it comes to football, BetDSI has every wager you could ever want or imagine. If it's happening, BetDSI will put a line on it. You can bet on the NFL, NCAA football, MLB, NBA, UFC, esports, and all other global sports. You can even bet on politics, celebrities, and reality shows for that matter. You can also bet on games while they're playing with BetDSI's live betting. So join BetDSI.com today using promo code TAFFER101 
and you've already won by doubling your bankroll straight away. That's promo code TAFFER101 to get in the action and get paid. Shut it down! All right, John, Shut let's get down. into these audience callers. So first up, we have Randy, who's looking to make a career jump. Hi, Randy. Hi, John. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Oh, my pleasure. So you're down in Tampa, and you are looking for a career move. You know, before yeah. you even before we even start talking, I want to share something with you that's pretty cool. About 3.1 million people in the last numbers we have is, is October left their jobs because they had so much confidence that they could get a better paying job or a better future in today's marketplace. So there's a lot of people that are thinking like you now, saying that, is this the time to make a jump? Is this the time to change my career? What are you doing now? Um, I'm currently an IT project manager. Um, I work for um, a vacation destination, um, and I've been with the company for going on 16 years. Um, I've had a lot of opportunities. It was one of those kind of college jobs that I started, um, and I worked my way up. So I've spent the better part of my adult career with the company, and I have a lot of different experience, both front of house and back of house, and I think it's just time to move on. So I'm kind of looking for advice on what what you would suggest for someone in my position. So in your position, were you working on a hospitality property or in a corporate office? Uh, what was it? Um, uh, on property. Um, I'm cur- currently working in a back-of-house position supporting um, IT projects um, that are uh, used for both guests and employees. So, but I've worked with um, front of house with the guests as well. So you've worked as a front desk associate? Um, I've worked with guests selling tickets and oh, okay. that sort of thing. Yeah. So, so you have an understanding of the logistics of the front of the house. You have an understanding of customer service. Yeah. You have you have an understanding of all the logistical processes that have to do with reservations, ticketing, all those aspects of it. And then yeah. with all that knowledge, you also have a tech knowledge to be able to manage the programs and the coding and everything that has to happen to make all the systems work. Yes. Well, that's a vast set of experiences. So, Randy, if you could do anything, what would you do? What would you love to do? Um, that's a good question. Um, I really would like to combine my business background and my IT background because I think that's my strongest um, skill set because um, I've frequently been given projects where I'm sure you've been in the position where uh, people in the business segment don't speak the same language that the IT professionals do and things get missed. Yep. And I have a unique ability to be that person to translate between the, the two teams and um, make sure things don't get um, confused or dropped or missed. And well, well, that's I a, really enjoy that kind of work. So th- that's a really powerful uh, uh, um, opportunity to be almost the advocate of the client who's retaining people to do coding and programming work for them. Right. Yeah. So, so you know, it's interesting that you say that because I'll tell you a quick personal story of mine. I created an, an app years ago called Bar HQ that I've since sold, mm-hmm. and you know, the budget to create Bar HQ is an app given to me by the company who I hired to build it was one hundred and eighty grand. It cost me six hundred by the time I was finished. 
and they used wrong platforms and they made all of these huge mistakes. Had I hired you as a consultant to protect me in that process, you could have probably saved me a couple hundred grand. Couldn't you have? Yeah. So is there somebody who is in the IT consulting business would be a client advocate? So if you've never – so I'm just thinking of a marketing message. So if this is your first enter in, in, into having technology built, uh, 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 um, you know, we're an advocate for you. So if you can justify that you can save somebody 10 to 15% and protect their interests, you just made yourself that 10 to 15%. So would you like to work for someone or work for yourself? I think I'd like to work for myself. Yeah. You know, with your IT knowledge today, you could really get into the kind of communities of developers and people looking to develop apps and and, and, and in the business space, particularly in a hospitality space. So yeah. what have you talked about? Have you talked about a new position within your company? Have you spoken to anyone about that? I have, and um, there's some unique challenges within my company um, that... Uh, I think I've hit the wall uh, with um, sure stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing unique to my company is that uh, because I came in as an hourly employee and transitioned to a salaried employee, they don't true up uh, your uh, annual rate. So oh. my salary will never equal somebody else with the same title with less experience and education um, unless I leave and come back. So, wow, that's strange. So you leave, give up yeah. your seniority as an hourly and come back as a salary, and then you have a greater opportunity for the future to make more money. Um, yeah. That's nutty. Question. Do you, and don't tell me who you work for because I don't want you to tell me the name of the company. Do you work for the biggest ones down there, for one of the smaller ones down there? Because obviously there's an awful lot of timeshare in hospitality companies where you are. Correct. Um, I work for one of the larger uh, vacation entertainment destinations. Gotcha. Have you ever gone for an interview with your competitor? I have. um, And unfortunately, for project management type roles, they hire mostly on a contract basis at the competitor. Mm -hmm. And I haven't had a good luck finding a contract that fits with what I'm looking for. They tend to be short-term contracts. Gotcha. So so there is an opportunity for you to grab some of their contract opportunities then as a consultant yeah. in theory. Yeah. So, But they tend to be longer-term projects. Do they keep coming? Is there a flow of them? Because you know, um, short-term projects, I, if they keep coming, aren't bad, right, as long as you have a flow. Yeah. So what's what's prevented you from taking a project or two? Couldn't you do it while you have a job right now? If you wanted to grab um, one of their projects, could you? It would. Uh, if it was the competitor, it would be a conflict of interest. Gotcha. Is there someone? Oh, I see what you're saying. Of course. Is there someone else that you could grab a project from? Could you do a few projects and still keep your job to see if you like doing that kind of work? Um, I do actually have one uh, company. It's a small company that I consult for, um, and I do some work for. Uh, them a couple of times a year and I've enjoyed it. Um, and, um, it's a little bit of different work that I do for them, but, um, I, um, help them, uh, respond to requests for proposals for, um, 
their software projects or their software products. And um, so you function so as, as an a, advocate for them in, in these projects. I do. Yeah, protecting their yeah. interests. Yep. That's a powerful position, particularly in a tech space where there's such a lack of familiarity. Let me ask you a question, and, and don't tell me numbers because I don't want to get too personal. You have a few dollars in a bank. Do you have a savings account? Are you prepared to invest something in your future? Yeah, I think I have a little bit that I can. Because if I were you, why, why wouldn't you create a website, use that co- initial company as a reference, uh, uh, reach out to some friends that you know, get the word out that you're looking for consulting projects, not with the competitive company that causes an issue for right. you, and do all this while you still keep your job. And, and, you know, do your work to get noticed. Try to get into the LinkedIn communities and other social communities that you can of people looking to develop these products. Try to get a little SEI results and see if you can get any traction with it. Because it sounds to me that you really enjoy that work and, and that you're, you're a, a somebody who likes to be an advocate for that owner. That's really good advice. I, I guess I never really had enough confidence to go for that. But hearing and talking through this with you, it makes a lot of sense. I have a lot of friends who say to me, John, I'm, I'm going to quit my job and go do this. And I say, why can't you do both for a little while? Why can't you get yeah. your feet in the water, get the website up, you know, work with some friends, work your contacts, as we said, get into that community and space, keep your job so you're not taking huge risk. All you're investing in is your website and some of your time to start building it. Before you know it, you'll get a project or two. Uh, uh, you'll see how hard it was to get the projects. You'll see how much money you made on the projects. You'll see what kind of flow of projects there are. And then in a couple of months, either you're going to say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to leave my job. This is a full-time business I can have here. Or you'll say to yourself, this isn't working. I need to adjust my approach somehow. But either way, you don't lose your position. So I think you can have your cake and eat it too, actually, Randy, and try it that way. What do you think? That sounds great. All right, John, this is Liz. She's an owner of a brewery in planning. Hi, Liz. Nice to talk with you. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So you're down in Jacksonville, which is a great market. And you, you. you're looking at uh, building a brewery. So are you are you planning it right now? Are you building it? What stage are you at? We are uh, currently at the end uh, of construction, and we are anticipating opening within the next uh, 46 weeks. Wow, that's terrific. Congratulations. So you've got all your money yeah. capitalized. Your design is done. You're building it right now. Are you happy with the way it's looking? Yeah, it's looking great. We're really excited. Terrific. Have you guys been in this business before? Um, my husband's been a home brewer for about eight years. Okay. Um, so he's finally taking a pro. He's been working off of a smaller uh, pro system to yep. get used to the new uh, equipment. Mm-hmm. And as for me, um, I have wear many hats in my past um, business life. I've, I've worked for many companies. I've run several companies. I've started a few of my own. So I have um, experience in everything from marketing and administration to HR, bookkeeping and everything. So I'm kind of going to handle all the business aspects and he's going to handle the beer aspect. Okay. That's, that sounds great. So, so uh, you've got a product that you really like. I'm guessing he brews a heck of a beer. Yes, he does. And you've got your label and your packaging and all that together. You're just doing draft right now. Uh, we're going to just be doing drafts, but we will do some can releases. So we do have packaging um, and label design in place already based gotcha. on our brand. What kind of kitchen do you guys have? Um, it's a three and a half barrel brew house. So mm-hmm. it produces basically seven kegs of beer each time we brew. 
Okay. And do you have a kitchen in the facility? Are you going to be selling food? No food. No food. Um, the plaza that we're in has multiple um, different types of food options within, and people are welcome to bring it in or order um, from here to have items delivered in-house. Okay. Um, so let's, let's talk about this for a couple moments. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, I'm going to be positive, but I want to worry you about a couple of things. Uh, you know, okay. the, the brewery business is on a downturn. There is not one major beer brand other than two Mexican labels in the entire country that are expecting growth this year. You need to know that. There has been a major research report done by one of the largest equity bankers in the world that applied the word craft to beer and found that the word craft actually reduces the potential of beer by 3% in sales. But the word craft on whiskey increases potential of whiskey by 8%. Here's my point. You're past the power curve. Uh, on on microbreweries. Revenue is not growing in that category. It's diminishing in that category. So you have to have a great business. You just cannot rely on the beer. Beer sales in millennials are way down. It's a crisis situation. Companies are down 5, 6, 7, 8%. So you can't do this relying on, on just beer. It's scary if you do that. You have to provide an experience. There needs to be music. Yeah. There needs to be environment. There needs to be good food. And if you're using food from another venue and you can't control their quality or how long it takes to get there or if they will deliver it or they won't, you're going to have a major problem on your hands because mm-hmm. you can't manage your experience. So there's a number of things that you've said that honestly worry the hell out of me. You know, I want to know if I come into your place and sit down that I can get the same hamburger I got yesterday. I want to know that I can get it in 15 or 20 minutes. I want to know that it's going to be cooked right. And if those things don't happen, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. You can't control that. So I think that there's, a, a, to be honest with you, a serious flaw in your business model. You're not going to survive just on beer. And you can't survive on seven kegs a day of beer or per brew of beer. You must provide an experience. And that experience must have specialty signature food items, pairings with the beer, burgers with beer-flavored cheese sauces on them, infusing Mm -hmm. your products into it. Your plate presentations must be great. Are you going to let people eat out of a styrofoam container sitting at your bar with a plastic fork? Is that really what you're doing? Well, we do plan on having... um food and beer pairing dinners as part of the offerings that we're going to have on and, a regular basis. But do you uh, have, we're bringing in caterers that will, we're going to team up uh, ahead of time to come up with really amazing menus that also rotate so that we offer a nice variety and option. Um, and this if I come in every day, here. so uh, I mean, but you got to have the same products day to day. I mean, I can't come in and a menu can't be different every day. So, you know, I just, I, I'm concerned that I'm being very frank with you. Uh, I'm concerned that there's a couple of rookie moves being made here that you're going to regret. One is not controlling food is a major, major issue. So what I would consider doing is I would cut a deal with a caterer or somebody to bring the same food there every day. I would cut a deal with one of the restaurants, not a bunch of them. You're not allowed to bring food in from any place you want because you don't want styrofoam containers and plasticware sitting all over your bar and your tables. It's going to cheapen everything you've done. So you can't let people come in with food and bags from fast food restaurants and spread it out all over your environment. You can't do that. So you pick one of those places. 
They're the official food provider for your concept. You get 10% of the food revenues that you generate to them. You put in a POS system so that there's tablets in your operation that you can order the food directly to them through your tablet. Then the food comes seamlessly from their operation into yours. You order it on your tablet from your bar. It comes from their restaurant. The customers see the same thing all the time. It's served on plates with real silverware. And now you can manage your experience. Liz, if you don't manage that aspect of your business, I am telling you, you're going to fail. Now, let me ask you a question with the, at least with in our market and the markets that I've visited in our research throughout Florida, um, a majority of the breweries are not offering in-house food. They, they have some type of options, whether it's food trucks out front. Are they making money? Because uh, most are not. Yes. Yes, they are. Um, of course, like you mentioned with the overall national, uh, downturn, there's been, you know, slight sharing of market as new, you know, breweries enter the market, but, um, but they're all consistently showing growth. And with that being a, a, an expectation, if they are, or, I'm going to tell you, if they are, they're lucky because they're violating the basic premises of business. Now you can open up a really shitty place and make money. You know that, but, right. you know, but that doesn't hedge your bet. That's very high risk, not controlling your food increases the risk of your business. There's no question about that. Not providing a more controlled experience increases the risk of your business. There's no question about that. Allowing people to bring in packaging and food and plates all over your environment weakens the visual and potential of your business. There's no question about that. I would build a small satellite kitchen which is a tiny corner of the facility near a back door so that pizza can be delivered seamlessly, so that there's pizza cases, that there's signature sandwiches available. You have to control your experience. And I suggest to you that, that the breweries that don't do that uh, uh, might be making a couple of dollars, and, and maybe they're selling a little beer, but they are not going to generate the kind of multimillion-dollar business that they could. You can't do that without controlling these things. So Liz, I now, think there's no doubt. There's no doubt that there's a big um, there is a big market share that's being missed when you don't offer the food. So I, I definitely see that profitability uh, missed point. But at the same time, when the expectation is currently at you know like it's very common to go to any brewery here and be able to either bring in your own food, order food in, things like that. If you start saying you can't just bring anything in, am I going to start you know um, why would you why would the customer experience? And see, I disagree with you. I don't think people expect to be able to bring food in to somebody else's brewery restaurant. I think that might happen in some places. But, you know, you're, there's a real demographic flaw to what you're saying. See, beer sales with millennials are the lowest they've been, I don't know, in the last 10 years. It's a crisis. Read it in the magazines. Beer sales have fallen with millennials hugely. And they're moving to spirits. You can read about it. It's, it's all over the trades. But yet millennials are the only ones that are going to bring their own fast food into your operation. So there's a real flaw in, in the way you're going about this. There just is. And I think, do I say that you're going to not be successful? I can't say that. But I can tell you this. You're not taking the steps to assure your success with this approach. You're just not. And when food stinks, you're not going to be able to do anything about it. When it doesn't come and people are waiting 45 minutes for an order, you're not going to be able to do anything about it. 
when somebody who is 45 years old or 50 years old is affluent and comes into your facility and sees plastic food containers from everybody else around town, you look like a freaking food court. I just don't know how you build a brand that way. So I take exception with, with the decisions that you've made, and I wish you the best of luck okay. in this scenario, but I really believe if you can't control your experience, you can't control your future, and that would scare the hell out of me, Liz. I, so, I appreciate the, uh, the feedback. Okay. Well, good luck. And, and, All right. Thanks, And um, when I'm in Jacksonville, we'll look for you. Please do. Okay. Take care. Thanks. I'll tell you, I hate to... to rain on somebody's parade, Corey, but, you know, when somebody says these things to me, you know, that her husband is a, is a home brewer, well, he's brewed some beer at home, and she's been in a number of businesses, and they're going to let people bring in food from the food court that's nearby, and, you know, th- these are rookie decisions in a business that's extremely competitive, and uh, to put one's life savings into that type of a thing knowing that they're, they're, they're not doing the key things that they have to do to control the experience and protect their future, uh, it scares the heck out of me. All right, John, let's move into the next caller. His name is Matt, and he's looking to take his tech startup to the next level. Hey, Matt, how you doing? How's it going, John? Good. So I see you, uh, you guys have a, a tech startup, and you're manufacturing the world's first premium iPhone battery case. Yeah, exactly. So we're a uh, little bit, little bit of background, industry standards. Um, this is the uh, the first product to get released like this. There's competing products that are out there, but this is uh, something that's going to be much better than uh, what's already out. Just kind of cheap plastic battery cases that um, are manufactured by a range of uh, of companies at this point. Probably Mophie is the most prominent, but. Um, our product's considerably better uh, than, than what's out there, so why? we're trying to get why is it better? Board with it. Why is it better? So for one, um, cell phones have come up in price a lot. So three, four years ago, you probably spent a two, three hundred bucks. Now cell phones have tiered up to be thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars. So consumers, uh, when they take a look, they use those battery cases kind of out of necessity. And this is the first smartphone battery case that's designed to rival the build quality of your phone. So this is going to be something when you take a look at it, you're going to want to use instead of just, you know, kind of out of a lack of other options besides these. And what does that mean? So when I look at it, I'm going to want to buy it? Yeah. So this Why, is, is it, it leather-wrapped? Is it, is it the finish of it? It's, what, what makes it a, a, a premium iPhone battery case? Exactly. So we're made from leather and Alcantara. Okay. So premium materials. And it's much slimmer. It's just a much better design, more well-thought-out product. That we have to market, we've advertised, um, but we're kind of in the nightmare scenario for an entrepreneur in that um, we're to market. We have customers that want to buy. We have orders that we need to fill, and we lack the, the funding to uh, to do that. It's interesting that, that, that you would say that because I want to challenge that with you for a minute, Matt, because if, in fact, you have a product that you can produce, you know the cost of the product, and if, in fact, you have orders from credible entities – you should be able to factor those orders and raise the money. Now, I have companies that I've dealt with where, where uh, uh, um, and one of my dear friends owns one where he just got a $4 million order, and he has a new product. And it's a credible order from a credible corporation. He's got a purchase order and everything. He doesn't have the $3 million that it's going to take to produce the $4 million worth of products. So he went out and he sold, yeah. and he sold a receivable. 
and he sold the receivable, and rather than getting a, a $3 million, he got about $2.7 million, and he was able to shave his profit margin a little, but he got the money, and he didn't even give away any equity for it. So if you, if you in fact, have bona fide orders, those should be able to be factored. Now, I can go sell receivables. Uh, uh, you can factor an order like that. So, yeah. so somebody should be advising you better on the financial front. The other thing that I, I would share with you, you know, uh, and uh, my listeners know this, I did Fox Business last week for a week. And, you know, one of the yeah. things that I did was I interviewed Mike Lindell last week from MyPillow. And, you know, Mike Lindell tells a story of when he invented MyPillow, nobody would invest in it, nobody would buy it. So he went around the country doing home fair shows for seven years. And he yeah. sold the pillows hand-to-hand in home shows and created interest. And after seven years, he was able to raise the money, take it nationally, and it exploded. And yeah. uh, uh, so, I mean, if you can substantiate that you have orders and the product is being well-received, uh, uh, you're not going to the right places to get your money. Because companies that have bona fide orders from credible entities should always find money. So something's yeah, not that's... right. Something's not right in, in that. So I would I would throw a couple of things at you. One, you can get your product listed in Amazon pretty quickly these days. You can go yeah. online. You can say it takes three weeks to receive it, which gives you time to manufacture it. There's a whole yeah. bunch of things that you can do to show that people want to buy the product. The product will be successful. It looks great. For example, I have a friend who tests markets on Facebook all the time. What he does yeah. is he takes a picture of his product. He puts it on Facebook and posts it and pays for a Facebook ad and says, look at this product. It's only X amount of dollars. Who would be interested in one? And you see how many people say I would. And you can find out, okay, 10,000 people saw it on Facebook. 2,000 people responded favorably. That's a market test. So if you had some of those market tests, you had a website that was creating some traffic and people commenting and a few orders, buddy, you should be good to go and raise some dollars. Yes, which is exactly what we're doing. We've done ad work, so we're at that, that place with it. The issue for us is uh, the, the business that we're operating within. So in order to bring product to market, because this isn't an already existing product, we need, a, you know, we need freedom to operate. Um, we need an attorney, attorney opinion letter. We've sourced uh, our supply chains. Our supply chain is fully developed. Um, our website's up. We've run advertising. We know the test market. We know who our, our customer base is. And we know that they want it, but um, we're looking at a minimum of about a hundred grand. We're looking a hundred to two hundred thousand to uh, to bring it to market. Do you have a business plan? Done- Do you have a business plan all written up and economics and budgets and projections and all that kind of stuff? Is that all done? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to send it over to you if uh, if you'd like to take a look. So we have that. We have promo videos. Um, we have all the stats. So within the advertising that we have done, um, we break it down specifically. And it's super easy for our product because the user of our product is known. You mentioned Facebook, and that's exactly what we did. We know how people access Facebook. We know what phones that they access it from. So we can put our advertising right in front of the right people, and we can see those clicks. We can we can gauge by the, the response that we get. Um, well, I'll tell you, just as important. I'll tell you what concerns me a little bit about it is, you know, and I'm one who, uh, I'm in that case, you know, I buy two $300 cases for my phone. So I, I there's a company that I buy them from. Uh, in Asia that, you know, I get Lizard and all these beautiful gold trim cases and stuff, and I'll spend $300 yeah. on a telephone case that has no battery in it yeah. at all. And, you know, I'm the kind of guy I'll do that stuff all the time. 
I'm around people all day long, and I never see anyone have a battery case on their phone. It's just not something I okay. see today. You know, my phone lasts an hour and a, a day and a half on one battery charge. So, okay. so I think the phone companies are trying to increase battery capacity so people don't need those chargers. And I think you know, everything is about making it smaller and, and moving technology. And, you know, so as an investor, I would worry about those things. I would worry about the fact that as phones get better, less and less people need these battery products. I would, I would focus on the fact that, that, that uh, uh, um, you know, the phone companies would rather sell extended battery packets and stuff. So you're sort of competing against them as well. There's a lot of things yep. that worry about the market that you're in. You know, it's a competitive market. And who knows next week if somebody doesn't come out with a thinner one or a better one that is better capitalized than you are. Yeah, definitely a possibility. I think um, the big part of the technology is that um, other aspects of it have improved, but battery life hasn't. Uh, I'm sure you're probably familiar with it. They they rate batteries in milliamp hours. Um, and Do you have any patents? Hasn't Do you have any patents? We don't. We own the trademark for our business, but once we go to market with them, we have physical product, and yes, we'll, we'll own the patent at that point. Yeah. See, right now, you know, I don't know what what we what somebody's investing in. That's what I'm struggling with. If you don't have a patent to protect the product. And, you know, you, you just have a concept in, in a, a marketplace that, that, you know, is, is you know, still in somewhat of a transition with extension batteries and phones, increasing capacity and stuff. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what I'd be investing in uh, or what somebody would be investing in. You know, I think that you, you, you if I were you, I would have invested in patents and things like that in the first place because people will invest in patents. They'll invest in things that are protected. But this is a, a undercapitalized business in a market where a lot of businesses are very well capitalized. So I would worry, you know, a hundred grand is not going to get you there. And that's what an investor is going to say. A hundred grand is not going to get you there. It's going to take a lot more money than that for you to compete against, you know, the Mophies and the other people in that space. So, so, yeah. so, you know, I think you got a big mountain to climb, buddy. I do. I think that so you're in a tough space. Yeah. So here's how we would combat that. Number one is that we're first to market. We have first mover advantage. Doesn't matter. You're not, fir- you're not first to market, buddy. You're looking for $100,000. That's not going to get you to market. I'm sorry. This is a, this is a well, national I'm- market. I, a first to market doesn't mean anything unless you have the muscle to do something with it. And the muscle to do something with it means distribution platforms, retail facilities, uh, uh, um, national marketing programs, integrations into television shows and other things. A hundred grand doesn't get you first to market. Yeah, I think that's our baseline. We're shooting for a hundred to two hundred thousand. But uh, when I'm talking first to market, I'm really talking first mover advantage. If you Google search, and I know you said you like nice stuff, just search leather or Alcantara premium iPhone battery case doesn't exist. So if there are other competitors within that space that are making a comparable product, it's a very difficult sell. But the fact that it's a complete white space, and we're talking about the number one consumer electronics uh, products in the world. Um, because there's no viable competitor for it, it's just wide open. Once some company comes to market, then sure, you're going to deal with that. But um, for a relatively small amount of money, we're probably talking ten to $20,000, we can get um, premium advertising and blast this out everywhere. And once we're so out what, there, Let me ask there, a question. So what happens when Mofi looks at you and says, oh, look, they're selling a few of these cases. Do me a favor. Take some of our technology, wrap it in leather, and go to market and beat them by 20% in price. What are you going to do then? Because you have so no patent. Out. You have no patent to protect the product. Mophie can wrap their unit in leather tomorrow. 
That's what that's what I worry about. And you don't have the muscle to fight them. So you you know you're trying to compete in a really big corporate space, and you're trying to do it with a couple hundred grand, and you know that's a reason not to do this deal from my perspective. And 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 you asked me in, in the note that you sent to me, when do you know when to give up? You know the product doesn't mean anything if you don't have the muscle to get it to market. And you know, be honest with yourself: is two hundred grand going to get you to a national marketplace and establish credibility for your product? Really? I think it. Based on the lack of competition, like I said, if somebody's coming out with some new product and they've got 10 viable competitors, they don't really have a, a minimum viable product. They're not bringing anything new to market. If you're not bringing something new to market that's going to be impactful, there's no reason to do it. So well, the reason I, why I'm doing it is just, yeah. look, I, I, nobody else does. I don't like to rain on your parade, buddy, but when I look at people that are mophie and the people that are in that space, if there was an opportunity in a luxury battery case business, they would have done it. They have the factories. They have the technology. They can be in that space quickly and overnight if they want to be, and they're not. Yeah, but here's the thing. So, so I want to leave you with a final thought here. I had a friend years ago who told me, John, I can't understand why I'm not making money. I have the only uh, electronic Bronco bull in the entire state of New Jersey. You might have a good idea, but you don't have the ability to penetrate the marketplace, and your competition is going to eat you up if you prove that your product segment works, Mophie or somebody's going to take it away from you. And that's why I, I don't think you're viable. Yeah, I hear that feedback for sure. Here's and and if you had a patent, I, they couldn't, but you don't. So uh, uh, I, cool. yeah, I appreciate your idea, buddy, and I appreciate the call, but you got a big mountain to climb. And I would suggest to you that if you can't do this right, don't do it. And 100 grand is not going to do that for you. But I do wish you luck, buddy, and, and a happy new year. All right, I appreciate it, John. Take care. Well, it sort of bums me out to have a negative call like that, Corey. You know, I just, I'm so positive about people's business, but it's really a powerful issue. And I've gone through this myself in products that I've created. If you don't have a patent to protect it, and you're going into a product that other people are already in, and there's other people that are in the phone battery business, if this premium category where they could sell that same battery wrapped in a different finish for $100 more, they would have done it. And they're the ones that are doing all the market research in that category. So I worry about a business like this because even if he starts it, uh, uh, the big guys can take it away. So please, if you're opening a new business, if you've got a strategy or a plan and you want to be challenged, Send a note to me at podcast at johntaffer.com. That's podcast at johntaffer.com. And you can be on the podcast with me, and I hope you do, because there's nothing I like more than your calls. So my guest on next week's podcast is Mark Peschke. Mark Peschke is a real technology innovator in the world of virtual reality and other technologies. And this week is the CES convention in Las Vegas. So I've asked Mark to join us and give us a look into the future. I'm particularly interested in artificial intelligence, where games are going, where computers are going. And Mark's going to give us a real look into the future of technology. That's next week on my No Excuses podcast. Okay, I got a personal favor to ask you. Corey, I don't ask for many favors, do I? No. Well, I think this is an important one. I need you to hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts, go to podcastone.com or the Podcast One app, and you'll get your new episodes of No Excuses every Tuesday morning. Why wouldn't you do that, Corey? I don't know. Neither do I. So, go do it. Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review.